But you know, these two passages, you know, we've been talking about all throughout Lent that we were going to go through this series and try to understand all these things we talked about doing on Ash Wednesday. Self-examination we did the first week. And last week we, we did penitence. And this week we're focusing on fasting. Now again, we've had to kind of leave the lectionary for a little bit. And so we picked these two passages, one in Esther and the other in Luke. And it's funny because these two passages together really do present a juxtaposition about fasting. In the first one, we hear a group of people are going to fast, and then Jesus seems to be almost saying, I don't know about this fasting thing. And we'll talk about Jesus himself fasts. So obviously he sees good in it. So kind of fascinating, right? Like, oh, fast, but oh, don't fast. And then we're in Lent and we talk about fasting. So what should we do with this? Well, here's the gift of Scripture when we see these juxtapositions. is It's not like one is canceling out the other, but perhaps we think about it more like a gem. And certainly fasting as a concept is a gem throughout all of Scripture. And with any good gem, you have different facets, and sometimes if you rotate that, fa- that gem a little bit, the light hits a different facet, and you see things a little differently. It's not that it's a different jewel, it just means the light hits it a little differently. And so juxtapositions like this allow us to see nuances on a topic that seems so monolithic, like fasting, and allows us to see it in new light. Because really... You don't have to go to Webster's to define what fasting is, right? That's not a really highfalutin concept. It requires us to suspend the consumption, oftentimes, of food for a period of time. And it's interesting because I think that suspension of consumption at times is also of comfort. You know, if you haven't eaten for a couple days, you don't feel so good. Of sustenance, of sustenance. Should get that out. But we have to suspend the consumption of something for a period of time. Our passages today remind us how fasting can be integral and balanced in our lives. So let's start with Esther. Sadly, and I think this is a real tragedy of the Revised Common Lectionary, Esther is not put into the Revised Common Lectionary at all. Which, Esther is a terrific story. If you get a chance to actually go through it, it's a lot of fun. I mean, there is... In, in the Hebrew calendar, there is the festival of Purim, where everybody dresses up, has a few drinks, and every time the, the villain's name here, Haman, is mentioned, everybody screams at the top of their lungs. They retell this story because it is so important to the people of, of Israel, the Jewish folks who have seen faithfulness over time, and to see how God delivers. To give you the 30-second overview, it's the story of Esther and, and Haman and Mordecai, and the Jewish folks that stayed in Babylon after the exile, and the rest of the folks were allowed to return to their homelands. You hear about a little bit about Haman working out a deal, that if he has it his way, he'll pay a little bit to the treasury and get to wipe out all of the Jews in Babylon. And obviously, it's not a good thing to happen. And so almost one of the peak moments we get to explore today Esther, through multiple acts of of God's hand throughout uh, history, now is a part of uh, a part of the king's uh, part of the kingdom. She's queen, and she's got an ability to talk to the king. 
And now this plot has been discovered by Mordecai, family member of Esther's. And Mordecai is pleading, please do something. And Esther at first says, listen, I don't know if you've ever been in the king's court, but that's not quite how it works, Mordecai. I don't just get to go and say, hey, man, maybe don't kill my friends. It doesn't quite work like that. If I go and do that, if I don't get to touch the scepter, I'm as good as dead. Mordecai says, well, that's all right. Maybe this is exactly what you were supposed to do. And then Esther says, okay, here's what I need you and all of our family members to do. I need everybody who is, 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 is a Jew in Babylon, in, in the Susa area, to fast for three days. And me and my court will do the same. And then we'll see what happens. This right here is the beginning of what Esther, when Esther realizes who she is called to be and what she is supposed to do. It seems like fasting precedes a lot of identifying who we're called to be. Think about Jesus in the wilderness for 40 days. He's fasting and then immediately after goes to do the ministry that he's called to do. So there's something special about this time of fasting that perhaps strips different things away to allow us to see who we really are. And as Esther turns to face this important task, she also invites her community to join her in fasting and in prayer. And so as a result, this important identity-shaping moment for Esther where she will do what she is called to do, what she is supposed to do with her life, she is bound to all of her community because they gather for these three days to fast. The gift of these Lenten practices can continue to do the same thing for us. When we join together in acts of discipline, we don't need to consider them solo acts. If you decided to fast, you don't have to do it by yourself. We gather together as a community, and when we do things together, we do it as a community for a specific end. Fasting is not just necessarily taking a few days without eating food. And certainly, all the activities that we perhaps do here together, think about all the things that we've got lined up, even showing up here on Sunday. It's a part of a discipline that binds us together week in and week out. So this act of fasting binds us together for a specific end. And fasting towards an end is a critical component for writers throughout all of Scripture. And Jesus seems to hit on that over and over and over again, especially in Luke. The idea being that, you know, just going through the motions, just doing the things because it was a thing you've always done, it was a thing that you thought was the right thing, you were checking off a box, really doesn't hold any water anymore in God's commonwealth. To withhold for the sake of withholding, in other words, is not a value anyone in Scripture seems to hold. And so in the gospel, Jesus is once again challenged, like he was last week, as if to test what kind of rabbi he truly is. Like, well, you know, if Jesus was really the preacher that he said he was, I think he'd be fasting like my buddies are. 
especially referencing John, right? The disciples of John really trying to hone, hone in on that point. Well, if Jesus was really the Savior that he said, wouldn't he and his buddies be fasting? They'd be doing what they're supposed to do. And Jesus does a rapid-fire series of parables, right? One after the other, and reminds the people around him that there are always things more important than the act itself. Simply going through the motions of something that you just felt like was the right thing to do is like trying to apply old patches to new garments. But in Jesus' parable, the garment still needs to be patched. And it's not like Jesus himself didn't fast, like I said earlier. But instead, it may be matching the practice for better ends. One of my favorite theologians in a commentary says this, that the fundamental meaning of this parable is that individuals should receive the gift of God with wisdom sufficient for it. In the context of fasting, this sort of practice where folks are just going through the motions for the sake of going through the motions no longer has the correct attitude of faith. Trust and joy should replace atonement and justification by works. But it is essential to faith and joy that one cannot demand or command them. And so these parables have a function of provoking individuals, leading them to a decision, and thus pulling them away, pulling them away from dead ends. Gosh, how much of our lives, when we think about what do we do after this, feels like going through motions of dead ends? It feels like one of the secrets we don't talk too much about in church. But the gift of Lent, as we sort of clear some things out, we distill some stuff. How often do you look at these texts and be like, oh, i got to read my Bible again? You know, I prayed this morning. Oh, wasn't one time enough? Oh, the idea of fasting? <laughs> yeah, I fasted last night. It was called sleep. And yeah, on their own, just the ends to, to pray for the sake of praying, to read scripture for the sake of reading scripture, to fast for the sake of fasting. Yeah, they are all going to lead to dead ends that are no better than saying, well, I guess I'm going to shout really loud on the street corner and talk about Jesus, but nothing else matters at that point. Jesus here is encouraging us, inviting us, and warning us to avoid the dead ends of practices. And certainly we can see that. You know, if you Google fasting, I mean, you could do it right now, that's fine. If you Google fasting right now, you know what you're going to see? You're not going to see expressions of spiritual disciplines. You're not going to see anything about this at all. What you're going to see is a whole bunch of articles about intermittent fasting. How cool is that, right? The idea, yeah, I saw some, no, that's not cool. I don't, no, so, you know, the idea of intermittent fasting is that you only eat for a certain period of time. You say you know, the most popular is like 18-6. You don't eat for 18 hours of the day and you eat for six. And that is supposed to help you lose weight. I mean, cool, right? I, I, it's a fad diet like any other, right? You layer that on with keto and, and some other thing and you've really got a, you got a millennial diet trip stew going, right? 
But that's not what we're talking about here, right? This would be a much more interesting sermon, I guess, if what I was doing is trying to create a TikTok diet, diet loss sort of area. If that's what I was doing here, maybe it'd be a little more. I do a dance and everything. But that's not what we're talking about. If the end was just losing a couple pounds, great. And I suppose Jesus would have talked about that in the gospel. But that ultimately will always be a dead end when it comes to everything that we try to focus on in Lent. Fasting, like any other practice, has to have the pursuit of God and God's commonwealth at its end. Otherwise, yeah, just go on TikTok for fasting secrets. I'm not going to be able to help you. It's the end that matters. So what, right? It's always where we kind of end. Is, you know, why does any of this matter? And certainly, like I said, fasting is one of those things that seems pretty straightforward. Well, I'm grateful for all of you because I had a good week where I was able to kind of spend some time with the family. We had spring break staycation, and it was nice to get a few days away. And yesterday and Friday, we decided we'd finally go out and do a couple things. And Friday... We ended up going to the art museum, the Comer. Comer has free Fridays every Friday, which is awesome, right? Because, you know, you run a risk when you're going to take an eight- and six-year-old to an art museum how much they're really going to get out of it, depending on the day and how well they slept the night before. And we had a terrific time. I would have loved to have gotten to know the Comers as they were in their house with that property. I mean, that's terrific, right? A wonderful time, and the kids really had a good time. So we did that, and then Saturday, we went to the stadium to Monster Jam. It was awesome. And I made a comment at one point, I think I put it on Twitter, that I would have loved to have seen the Venn diagram of folks who went to the art museum on Friday and went to Monster Jam on Saturday because the over-under was probably four. And there were like 25,000 people at Monster Jam. There were a lot. And after a while, you know, once the joke subsided and I sort of felt pretty good that I was being all witty, I thought to myself, gosh, wouldn't it have been nice if that Venn diagram was a little larger? It wouldn't have been interesting to have seen more folks that I saw on Saturday at the Comer on Friday. It wouldn't have been nice to see a bunch of people that I saw on Friday decide to show up on Saturday. Because at the end, they were both really fun experiences. But in a world that you know, connects communities together, it's one that often looks like an end that I want to be a part of because it's... it's I gotta let you in on a little secret, although I think by now, y'all know me well enough, this probably isn't a big secret, that if you made me choose between one or the other, nine times out of 10, I'm gonna pick the art museum. That's kind of how I imagine myself, right? I'm, I'm a little less of a monster truck guy. I don't put gigantic flags on the back of my F-150. I don't have any t-shirts with guns on them. I like to be able to stare at things that I don't entirely understand and go, hmm, 
It's fascinating. Not quite what I would have done, but I like to know that they have an Olmstead garden. I know Frederick Olmstead. I know what an Olmstead garden is. I know how it contrasts from an English garden to an Italian garden. I know those things. And yet in my heart at that moment, it almost sounded like the Pharisees saying to Jesus, well, why don't you hang out with the museum people? You know, if you were really the person that you said you were, you'd be hanging out with all those museum folks at the Cumber. You wouldn't go to the monster truck rally, would you? If you were really the person that you said you are. But perhaps this ends up being its own kind of fast. A fast from comfort, fast from being with my own tribe, a fast from judgment. Because last I told, last I could figure that folks who very much proclaim their dedication to the previous president are still good people. Still beloved children of God. Probably could enjoy a Cezanne. Because it turns out I really did have a good time at both places and got to spend time with good people. It doesn't matter what side of the political aisle you're on. Most people think that Frankie's boots are really cute when she wears these wellies. Because everywhere, everybody's like, oh, I wish I had a pair of boots like that. And you know, when we're our best as the church, we can be a little like this. I've heard multiple stories about Supper Club over the last few years. People who are on disparate parts of the political spectrum, people who have multiple different perspectives over a couple glasses of wine and good food, maybe a couple Manhattans, get to know each other really well. Because perhaps they took a moment to fast from their own judgment of the other. Perhaps they took a moment to suspend the need to have to attack somebody. They fasted from that comfort of being right. And isn't that, then, friends, new wine and wineskins that over time ages into something beautiful? Isn't that community working towards a shared end? Again, Alan's going to talk about I care. And I know there are some of you, because we've had these conversations where you're like, I don't know about that social justice stuff. And it's true. Social justice has gotten a bad rap over the last few years. But you know, like, the Bible's all full of it, right? Everywhere they're talking about justice and redemption. So here's, here's an opportunity for you within, like, the next week if you want to practice this fasting moment. I invite you to fast from your judgment about social justice and, and zoom in to the Nehemiah assembly. That's next Monday. I mean, it's really like low entry into practicing this sermon for next week. Come listen to the Ukraine talk. Come to the 90 forward thing where we're going to have conversations about how you understand race in the world. Whew. I want to talk about fasting from your judgment, perhaps. When we are at our best in the church and we fast from those things, especially the things that we hear everybody else saying, why would you talk to that person? Why would you do this thing? Why would you, the art museum person, go to the monster jam? Why would you, the monster jam person, <laughs> go to the art museum? 
Why would you show up to a PCUSA church on Sunday? Well, I think when we do that, we actually get to see the kingdom of God a little bit more. We get to see God's commonwealth. And perhaps, once again, these Lenten practices are not just things we do because we can look holy, but because we expose what really God is calling us to in this world as we head towards resurrection. Thanks be to God.